Chapter Number Twenty Five of the House of Whispers by William Lacroix. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Shows Gabrielle in exile, midway between historic Fotheringay and ancient Apethorpe, the ancestral seat of the Earls of Westmoreland, lay the long, straggling, and rather poverty-stricken village of Woodnewton. Like many other Northamptonshire villages, it consisted of one long street of cottages many of them with dormer windows peeping from beneath the brown thatch the better houses of stone with old mullioned windows but all of them more or less in stages of decay with the depreciation in agriculture wood newton once quite a prosperous little place was now terribly shabby and depressing as he entered the village the first object that met the eye of the stranger was a barn with a roof half fallen away and next in a ruined house with its moss-grown thatch full of holes the paving was ill-kept and even the several inns bore an appearance of struggles with poverty halfway up the long straight dispiriting street stood a cottage larger and neater looking than the rest its ugly exterior was half hidden by ivy which had been cut away from the diamond-paned windows while unlike its neighbours its roof was tiled and its brown door newly painted and highly varnished old miss hayburn lived there and had lived there for the past half-century the prim, grey-haired, and somewhat eccentric old lady was a well-known figure to all on that countryside. Twice each Sunday, with her large, tight prayer-book in her hand, and her still-rimmed spectacles on her thin nose, she walked to church, while she was one of the principal supporters of the village clothing club and such-like institutions inaugurated by the worthy rector. Essentially an ascetic person, she was looked upon with fear by all the villagers. Her manner was brusque, her speech sharp, and her criticism of neglectful mothers caustic and much to the point. Prim, always in black bonnet and jet-trimmed cape of years gone by, both in summer and winter, she took no heed of the vagaries of fashion, even when they reached Wood Newton so tardily. The common report was that when a girl she had been crossed in love, for her single maidservant she always trained to a sober and loveless like like her own and as soon as a girl cast an eye upon a likely swain she was ignominiously dismissed that the sharp-tongued spinster possessed means was undoubted it was known that she was sister of sir henry hayburn of castor in lincolnshire and on account of her social standing she on rare occasions was bidden to the omnium gatherings at some of the mansions in the neighbourhood she seldom accepted but when she did it was only to satisfy her curiosity and to criticise the household of two, the old lady and her exemplary maid, was assuredly a dull one. Meals were taken with punctual regularity amid a cleanliness that was almost painful. The tiny drawing-room, with its row of window plants, including a pot of strong-smelling musk, was hardly ever entered. Not a speck of dust was allowed anywhere, for Miss Emily's eye was sharp, and woe betide the maid if a mere suspicion of dirt were discovered everything was kept locked up one maid who resigned hurriedly refusing to be criticized afterwards declared that her mistress kept the paraffin under lock and key and into this uncomfortably prim and proper household little gabrielle had suddenly been introduced her heart overburdened by grief and full of regret at being compelled to part from the father she so fondly loved she had accepted the inevitable fully realizing the dull grayness of the life that lay before her Surely her exile there was a cruel and 
crushing one. The house seemed so tiny and so suffocating after the splendid halls and huge rooms at Glencardine. While her aunt's constant sarcasm about her father, whom she had not seen for eight years, was particularly galling. The woman treated the girl as a wayward child, sent there for punishment and correction. She showed her neither kindness nor consideration. For truth to tell, it annoyed her to think that her brother should have imposed a girl upon her. She hated to be bothered with the girl, but, existing upon Sir Henry's charity, as she really did, though none knew it, she could do no otherwise than accept his daughter as her guest. Days, weeks, months had passed, each day dragging on as its predecessor, a wretched, hopeless, despairing existence to a girl so full of life and vitality as Gabrielle. Though she had written several times to her father, he had sent her no reply. To her mother at San Remo she had also written, and from her had received one letter, cold and unresponsive. From Walter Murie, nothing, not a single word. The well-thumbed books in the village library she had read, as well as those in the possession of her aunt. She had tried needlework, problems of patience, and the translation of a few chapters of an Italian novel into English, in order to occupy her time. But those hours when she was alone in her little upstairs room with the sloping roof passed, alas, so very slowly, upon her, ever oppressive, were thoughts of that bitter past. At one staggering blow, she had lost all that had made her young life worth living, her father's esteem and her lover's love. She was innocent, entirely innocent, of the terrible allegations against her, and yet she was so utterly defenseless. Often she sat at her little window for hours, watching the lethargy of village life in the street below, that rural life in which the rector and the schoolmaster were the principal figures. The dullness of it all was maddening. Her aunt's mid-Victorian primness, her snappishness towards the trembling maid, and the thousand and one rules of her daily life irritated her and jarred upon her nerves. So in order to kill time, and at the same time to study the antiquities of the neighborhood, her father having taught her so much deep antiquarian knowledge, it had been her habit for three months past to take long walks for many miles across the country, accompanied by the black collie rover belonging to a young farmer who lived at the end of the village. The animal had one day attached itself to her while she was taking a walk on the Agthorpe Road, and now, by her feeding him daily and making a pet of him, the girl and the dog had become inseparable. By long walks and short train journeys, she had in three months been able to inspect most of the antiquities of Northamptonshire. Much of the history of the county was intensely interesting. The connection of old Fortheringay with the ill-fated Mary Queen of Scots, the beauties of Peterborough Cathedral, the splendid old Tudor House of Dean, the home of the Earls of Cardigan, the legends of King John concerning King's Cliff, the gaunt splendor of ruined Kirby, and the old world charm of Abthorpe. All these, and many others, had great attraction for her. She read them up in books she ordered from London, and then visited the old places with all the enthusiasm of a speckled antiquary. Every day, no matter what the weather, she might be seen, in her thick boots, Burberry and Tam O'Shanter, trudging along the roads or across the fields, accompanied by the faithful collie. The winter had been a comparatively mild one, with excessive rain. But no downpour troubled her. She liked the rain to beat into her face, 
for the dismal monotonous cheerlessness of the brown fields bare trees and muddy roads was in keeping with the tragedy of her own young life she knew that her aunt emily disliked her the covert sneers the caustic criticisms and the go-to meeting attitude of the old lady irritated the girl beyond measure she was not wanted in that painfully prim cottage and had been made to understand it from the first day hence it was that she spent all the time she possibly could out of doors alone she had traversed the whole county seeking permission to glance at the interior of any old house or building that promised archaeological interest and by that means making some curious friendships many people regarded the pretty young girl who made a study of old churches and old houses as somewhat eccentric local antiquaries however stared at her in wonder when they found that she was possessed of knowledge far more profound than theirs and that she could decipher old documents and read latin inscriptions with ease she made few friends preferring solitude and reflection to visiting and gossiping hers was indeed a pathetic little figure and the country folk used to stare at her in surprise and sigh as she passed through the various little hamlets and villages so regularly the black collie bounding before her quickly she had become known as miss hayburn's niece and the report having spread that she was a bit eccentric poor thing people soon ceased to wonder and began to regard that pale sad face with sympathy the whole countryside was wondering why such a pretty young lady had gone to live in the deadly dullness of wood newton and what was the cause of that great sorrow written upon her countenance her daily burden of bitter reflection was indeed hard to bear her one thought as she walked those miles of lonely rural byways so bare and cheerless was of walter her walter the man who she knew would have willingly given his very life for hers she had met her punishment and was now endeavouring to bear it bravely she had renounced his love for ever one afternoon dark and rainy in the gloom of early march she was sitting at the old-fashioned and rather tuneless piano in the damp unused best room which was devoid of fire for economic reasons her aunt was seated in the window busily crocheting while she with her white fingers running across the keys raised her sweet contralto voice in that old-world florentine song that for centuries had been sung by the populace in the streets of the city by the amo in questa note in sogno lo vetudo era vestido tutto di brocato le pum sol berretto di svaloto e d'una spada d'oro aveva alato e poi ma dero con un bel sorriso io non posso starde de divisa data divisa non si posso stare eterno per me più non lasciare miss hayburn sighed and looked up from her work can't you sing something in english gabrielle it would be much better she remarked in a snappy tone the girl's mouth hardened slightly at the corners and she closed the piano without replying i don't mean you to stop exclaimed the ascetic old lady i only think that girls instead of learning foreign songs should be able to sing english ones properly won't you sing another no replied the girl rising the rain has ceased so i shall go for my walk and she left the room to put on her hat and mackintosh passing along before the window a few minutes later in the direction of king's cliff it was always the same if she indulged herself in singing one or other of those ancient love songs of the hot-blooded tuscan peasants her aunt always scolded nothing she did was right 
for the simple reason that she was an unwelcome visitor she was alone rover was conducting sheep to stamford market as was his duty every week therefore in the fading daylight she went along immersed in her own sad thoughts her walk at that hour was entirely aimless she had only gone forth because of the irritation she felt at her aunt's constant complaints so entirely engrossed was she by her own despair that she had not noticed the figure of a man who catching sight of her at the end of wood newton village had held back until she had gone a considerable distance and had then sauntered leisurely in the direction she had taken the man kept her in view but did not approach her the high red mail cart passed and the driver touched his hat respectfully to her the man who collected the evening mail from all the villages between dean and peterborough met her almost every evening and had long ago inquired and learnt who she was for nearly two miles she walked onward until close by the junction of the road which comes down the hill from nassington the man who had been following hastened up and overtook her she heard herself addressed by name and turning quickly found herself face to face with james flockhart End of chapter 25